It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Welcome to the National Security Hour on AmericaOutloud.news, the talk radio network on iHeartRadio, where you will hear voices of freedom, the out loud truth. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Singiri, U.S. Army retired, the host for today, and also the host of the New Paradigms with Sargis Singiri, which airs on Mondays and is carried on Right American Media. Today, my guest is Michael Pregen, a good friend. He is a former U.S. Army intelligence officer who has more than almost 35 years of experience working security, terrorism, counterinsurgency, and policy issues in the Middle East, North Africa, Southwest Asia. He is an individual that is, by all regards, seen as the premier U.S. expert when it comes to Iran and Iran issues. I do want to remind our audiences that America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best-in-class apps available on Apple, Android, and Alexa, where we stream 24-7. And now you can also hear them on the podcast on these same apps. Mike, it's good to have you here, buddy. Welcome to the National Security Hour. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about these issues. Mike, let's start really quickly because I know that everybody says that uh, uh, Iran is really the driver behind all these operations of what's happening with Hamas, Hezbollah, even in the past, ISIS. Uh, I want to have you kind of explain to our audiences based on your expertise, how is Iran so significantly involved in these organizations, these Offshoots include the uh, Heshishabi in Iraq, and uh, why have we allowed it to get to this position? Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for that question. You know, we we hear a lot of uh, talk about, especially from the administration, that we have no, no direct evidence that Iran is involved. Well, the Biden administration has made has has raised the bar to a level where they they are basically saying we didn't hear the intercept. The, the voice intercept of an Iranian general, IRGC Quds Force general, or IRGC general saying, commence the mission, begin the mission. That's a very high bar uh, for for a uh, for verifying that Iran was involved. But what our audience needs to know is that that's not how these things work anymore. <clears throat> we know <clears throat> our enemies know we're listening. They don't say things like this on communications platforms. Uh, these decisions are made uh, in advance of the operation. They're made when individuals meet in person and have what we call a, a rolling meeting uh, where where they talk in a place where you can't hear what the conversation is and they give the green light. And these conversations take place all the time. Now, let me let me talk about two two styles of attack here. If Hamas simply conducted a missile and rocket strike against Israel or had a skirmish with the IDF, Iran still provided lethal aid and material support to Hamas to be able to make that attack successful. <clears throat> but when it comes to what Hamas did on October 7th with a, you know, a land, sea, and ground offensive, 
to hurt Israel so bad, to conduct such horrific atrocities as to ensure that Israel would invade Gaza, because that's the goal here, is means Iran's hand was directly involved. It also, with the targeting of the music festival and the kidnapping of hostages from 40 different countries, to include American hostages, that also is the hand of Iran. Iran's not going to allow one of its proxies to get it into a war. Iran directed its proxy Hamas to get the region into a war. This was by design. Hamas is made more capable by Iran. Palestinian Islamic Jihad is made more capable by Iran. Lebanese Hezbollah exists because of Iran. The Iraqi militias exist are directed and are capable because of Iran, and the Houthis continue to become more capable because of Iran. They don't act independently. They have a mission. Iran has a strategic mission, and the body that carries out the strategic mission through tactical, operational, and strategic operations is called the Quds Force. Quds means Jerusalem. Everything that Iran has built for its military is about Israel, is about pushing Israel into the sea, destroying Israel. So this operation is akin to, uh, you know, if you're a mafia boss and one of your captains goes and does something without your permission, you sacrifice the captain. You say, okay, you messed up. You brought another mafia boss into this. You're gone. That's isn't, that is not what this is. This is... A, a, that mafia boss telling its captain to go start a war with this other family. And that it, that it basically shows the hand of Iran. This is, this is huge. This is Israel's 9-11. Israel lost the equivalent of 250,000 Americans uh, in one terrorist attack. And what I mean by that is Israel is such a small country. Everyone in Israel knows somebody who was killed or kidnapped. After 9-11... Americans couldn't say that they knew somebody that was killed in the Eiffel Towers. But I went to war for 20 years. You went to war, sergeants. We all went to war on two, in two different countries for 20 years to exact revenge for the 3,000 Americans killed on 9-11. That's what Israel is doing now. Iran is going to lose a proxy in the Levant. Hamas is going to be degraded. Palestinian Islamic Jihad is going to be degraded. Lebanese Hezbollah is professional, is huge, is, is more capable than any of these groups. And Nasrallah is more pragmatic in his response. Right now we have simple skirmishes between the IDF and, and the Israeli uh, correction and Lebanese Hezbollah. Nasrallah is going to measure that. The Iraqi militias will be cannon fodder. They're not disciplined. They rush the objective uh, they're not like a, a Hamas or, or like uh, Lebanese Hezbollah. Iran will fight to the last Arab. This is what I tell my, my Arab friends in the military in these different countries or my my Arab uh, you know, friends that are disagree with me on all these issues is that, you know, Iran will fight to the last Arab. They, they view you as, as lesser than them. They will fight to the last Arab, and that's what we're seeing now. You know, with the with this with these militant groups uh, conducting these operations at the behest of Iran, and Iran doesn't care about dead Palestinians. Hamas doesn't care about dead Palestinians. 
Iran needs dead Palestinians to justify pushing its proxies into this regional conflict. Hamas needs dead Palestinians to justify its existence. And this operation will continue to unfortunately produce not only dead Palestinians, but dead Israelis, and, and unfortunately, some dead hostages from 40 different countries. No, you know, that's a good point that you made, that Iran needs it for strategic aims, dead Palestinians, and the uh, Hamas needs the dead Palestinians to justify its existence, uh, which is, again, um, as uh, we have said, um, and you and me have talked on various different occasions, the same thing. Uh, the administration, as you said, puts a high bar for itself politically, uh, to uh, possibly try not to uh, engage in the region. Um, look, it was an unconventional warfare strike against Israel. It is, as you laid it out, directly out of the uh, SF manual. The Quds Force is one of the best trained, uh, capable, unconventional warfare operators uh, on the planet today. I had a friend of mine who was briefing the Israelis a year ago, and he said that Iran is a leading especially could force unconventional warfare unit uh, in the world uh, today. And he was asked by the Israeli general, what about you guys, the U.S., since you guys wrote the doctrine? And he said, Iran is still better at this point because their aims, as you said, the entire force structure was created to operate that way. That means you have cells that basically operate internal. Not everybody is read on the information as to what's going to happen. You have couriers that run everything, and those internal cells in this particular case are just a 15-inch step from a border crossing, and they're not somewhere else that they're doing the planning that it takes couriers to fly internationally. It is really across the border. And, of course, uh, I'm sure they're going to do the investigations of what happened with the, some of the units that may have been on standby, uh, stand down and what may have happened with some of the uh, um, uh, electronics not working on the uh, fence lines, but we are where we are today. And, uh, you know, Iran, again, has put us in a position where I'm not sure if the, uh, even the task forces being in the Mediterranean, we're going to be taken uh, seriously by the Hezbollah. Um, let me ask you a question on this one then, Mike. If sure. we are not going to be taken seriously by Hezbollah in the region with these task forces in there, uh, what are we going to be able to achieve specifically if Hezbollah decides to open up a second front against Israel and Israel will need our technical capacity to be able to knock out the targets that Hezbollah has in southern Lebanon in order to be able to basically exist? Yes. Yeah, so what's interesting here is uh, everyone is aware that the Iraqi militias in Iraq directed by the IRGC Quds Force, Iran's terrorist arm outside of their, you know, in the region. Um, the Iraqi militias attacked U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria, and the United States didn't do anything. Lebanese Hezbollah is watching. Le Lebanese Hezbollah is more capable, more powerful, more disciplined. They can operate at the battalion and brigade level. They can conduct combat, uh, combined arms operations, meaning they can prep the battlefield with rockets and artillery, move in uh, armored forces, and then move in special operators and be able to do a lot of things. The militias are not like that. If the U.S. is going to allow a ragtag Iraqi militia directed by Iran to attack U.S. positions in Iraq with impunity, it sends a message to Lebanese Hezbollah that you have a permissive environment. 
the United States isn't going to do anything because what's needed now is is a is a deterrence strategy by the by the Biden administration. It's you're not deterring attacks if you're shooting down rockets from the Houthis or shooting down drones from the Iraqi militias. You're 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 having an iron dome strategy per se, right? If you're just shooting these things down. Unless you're hitting the launchers and the militias doing it and punishing them and sending a message to everybody else in the region, uh, you're not going to be taken seriously. So if you hit these Iraqi militias that are that are trying to kill Americans on these bases, it sends a message to Iran. It sends a message to Lebanese Hezbollah. It sends a message to the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. It sends a message to Hamas. It sends a message to the Houthis. But if you're not willing to send that simple message, then the other the message is, is heard this way. Green light chaos. Do what you want. The Americans, the show of force out there is just to shoot down rockets and missiles that are coming from outside Lebanon, from outside of, of Gaza. Uh, they're only to shoot down those missiles and rockets, and we can do whatever we want. I believe... Iran has intentionally started this war, you know, a year and a couple months before the next U.S. election. This is a time frame where, where our adversaries act if we go back and look at recent history. It was in the last year of the Obama administration when we saw ISIS, uh, you know, basically roll through um, the Levant in Iraq. And we're seeing that now again. When our adversaries perceive a weak administration on its way out, they do things. And and if if that administration is weak now and it stays in place, if Biden gets reelected or something like that, then they just get to continue mission. Right now, I think our adversaries from Russia, China, and Iran see a, a window of opportunity, a permissive environment to go, you know, to basically green light chaos. Test American resolve. We're seeing it already with the Ukraine. We're wavering in our support for the Ukraine. They're going to depend on that same sort of uh, position when it comes to Israel over time, where we will start, you know, our, our position will waver. Our allies in the region understand this better than anybody. When there's a weak administration that tilts out of the Middle East, our allies in the region tilt towards Russia and China. This is that perfect storm scenario in the Middle East. Iran is going to test U.S. resolve. Iran now gets the U.S. to focus not only on the Ukraine, but focus on the Middle East and still keep an eye on what China can do with Taiwan. And they believe they have a year and several months to just continue this. It is unfortunate, but it kind of fits into what um, I had put together years ago in uh, 2015. I came back and um, that uh, I was in Japan in February of 2015 um, talking to the uh, uh, PSIA, which is the equivalent of the um, U.S. Central Intelligence Agency. And we knew there was an ISIS cell that was operating uh, in Japan. And at that time, we still knew there was an issue with the uh, Chinese uh, that they were trying to expand their capabilities using others to include Iran everywhere else through the SCO into the region of the Middle East. And uh, when I came back, I put together a uh, document called Power Relations, which was a, a, a speech that was given by Wang Yi at the Brookings Institute, which he titled a New Power Relations. And he kind of laid out what his vision 
for the United States was or China's vision in this case as to how China and U.S. can in the long run work together um, instead of being adversaries against each other. And um, frankly, some of the chess pieces that are moving to where they are today seem like uh, they're pushing everyone in that direction. We all know that China is dependent heavily on the Middle East oil. And um, as soon as it came close for the Saudi Arabia and Israel to sign a uh, agreement with the Abrams Accord, which was going to be economically tying the two nations together, strengthening each other politically, economically, um, suddenly you see this issue pop up. And uh, now you're going to probably see Saudi Arabia being pushed more towards the SCO alliance rather than being with the uh, with the alliance that could have been established with a possible new Near East map where Israel, as I had said in the past, would be uh, basically the lead in the region with maybe India and pushing against uh, the uh, China's influence and reach within the Middle East. Unfortunately, it seems like we've not just reset the stage for Iran, but we've reset the stage also for uh, the Chinese Communist Party and their extension in the region. My guest is, again, for our audiences, is Michael Pregent. Um, Michael uh, has spent considerable time working uh, malign Iranian influence in Iraq as a senior advisor to the Iraqi security intelligence apparatus, including an uh, embedded advisory role with Prime Minister Nuli Maliki's office of the commander-in-chief. So uh, when we come back in the second segment, uh, I do need to take a break. But, Mike, I do want to kind of take a look at um, what are your advice as to what we can do when, in regards to this administration, taking stronger steps to ensure that uh, not only Iran, in this case, the SCO become emboldened. And I do want to kind of look at what the China's influence in the region is as to what is happening currently. So we'll take a short break here. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with CoFix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? CoFix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. CoFix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. In 2008, People could spend an average of 12 seconds on a task without becoming distracted. Five years later, it was only eight seconds. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down. Thousands of five-star reviews proves it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD. 
over 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. Welcome back to the Natural Security Hour. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Singer, U.S. Army retired and the CEO of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. I'm having a conversation today with uh, Michael Pregen. Uh Michael um, has been in the past um, and still is the premier mind when it comes to Iran in the United States. Um, and uh, he had served uh, as an embedded advisor with Peshmerga in Mosul from 2005 and through 2006 as a civilian worker for the Defense Intelligence Agency. And he also served as a political multi-advisor for United States Forces Iraq, focusing on reconciliation, the insurgency, and the Iranian influence in Iraq from 2007 to 2011. He was a violent extremist and foreign fighter analyst at CENTCOM, from 2011 to 2013. I do want to remind our viewers out there that um, all my shows and podcasts typically are one or two days after the broadcast can be heard on talk radio. You can hear them on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, and iHeart Podcasts, and many more. Be sure you subscribe and rate the shows on Apple Podcasts for me. Uh, Mike, um, I do want to take a look at based on your background and what we have spoken about in the past uh, um, and or I should say the previous segment. Given where we are today, it seems that the stage is being set again with Iran having leverage in this discussion. I do know that we have four structures on the ground. But uh, look, uh, even if we decide to, from our Air Force perspective, to clear a corridor, uh, our corridor clearing uh, for our F 35s to go out there and clear so our F 18s can go in and knock out targets in southern Lebanon, that's going to put us directly in a position where you have a young lieutenant flying, uh, having maybe a split second decision if he's locked on on whether it be a Turkish or Russian or Chinese aircraft anywhere over Syria, Iraq, or Lebanon. Um, are we? trying to put ourselves in a position where there's a larger fight or are we just stumbling into it given the fact that maybe Biden thinks this to be a transitional moment in uh, the possible uh, global reset, a new uh, world order or new paradigm. And now he thinks that politically, maybe this is going to give me an opportunity to come in and to be the savior of what the Middle East region will look like in the future? Or are we uh, just uh, stumbling into a fact that we're going to get into a possible larger regional war and at the end of it, maybe Iran still comes out? Um, where do you think we, we're heading with this uh, possibility? Are we heading to a larger regional war? Or are we going to um, possibly reset the stage because Biden may see this as a t- transitional moment? to where United States and him comes in and resets what the Middle East looks like over the next few decades. Yeah, I can tell you this. Uh, the more the Biden administration uh, continues to say that Iran's not part of this, the more likely it is that we have a regional war, the more likely it is that Iran is empowered. Uh, if the Biden administration wants to come out ahead here and wants to win over skeptics like myself and the majority of people that have watched Iran for the last 40 years, they need to focus everything on Iran. 
If they want hostages released, you focus on Iran. If you want Hamas to release hostages, you focus on Iran. Not focus on them by rewarding them like the Biden administration has done in the past, but focus on them by increasing sanctions and forcing existing sanctions and even some kinetic strikes against IRGC facilities inside of Iran. But definitely strikes against designated terrorist groups inside of Iraq, designated terrorist leaders inside of Iraq, and show Iran that the only pain that's going to come out of this is going to be Iran's because so far, Iran is being rewarded. And when I say Iran, you know I mean the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, but for our audience, Iran has continue, continuously been rewarded by this administration. They take five American hostages. The administration brokers the release of $6 billion in illicit oil sales uh, to be exchanged for five Americans. So that's literally a billion dollars ahead. So now we have anywhere from 11 to 20 American hostages, and Iran's looking for the same payoff. Instead of payoffs, it should be punishment. We have to stop this. We need to seize that $6 billion, bring it back. It's not our money, I get it, but still went to the US, it still went through the US banking system. It is in US dollars. It needs to be seized, it needs to be uh, firewalled so that Iran can never touch it. I would argue that it needs to go into the anti-terrorism fund to give to, to be given to victims of this attack, uh, dual citizens, American and Israeli, and also uh, American veterans of attacks uh, that Iran has basically uh, facilitated uh, since its existence, uh, meaning the, the revolution's existence in 1979. It is that simple. Ronald Reagan decimated half of Iran's Navy in 1988 uh, under Operation Praying Mantis. President Trump killed Qasem Soleimani on January 2nd, 2020, and Iran backed down. Iran backed down in 1988. I didn't finish that part of the sentence. Iran backed down in 2020. Israel knows that if you punch a bully in the nose, Iran is this bully that Iran will back down. Israel can't punch Iran in the nose right now because it's having to have that close distance hand-to-hand -hand combat with Iran's proxies, Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and, and Lebanese Hezbollah. But the Biden administration cannot have this show force, this incredible Navy capability, and then ignore what Iran is doing with, with the militias in Iraq that are targeting U.S. positions in Iraq and Syria. Iran needs to feel the pain. They haven't felt the pain of this at all. If anything, the Biden administration is acting like a PR firm for the for the Islamic uh, Republic of Iran by protecting it, by saying we have no direct evidence. Again, they're not going to find a smoking gun. That's not how this works. And continually to, to use Qatar as an intermediary uh, to facilitate uh, arsonist firemen hostage payments, meaning Qatar funds Hamas. Qatar supports Hamas. Hamas leaders are calling for days of rage uh, from Doha, from the comfort of five-star hotel rooms. And yet they want to broker, they want to get money out of the U.S. to broker the release of U.S. hostages that will solely benefit Iran. Iran cannot continue to be rewarded for what its proxies are doing by this administration. Iran needs to be punished so it sends a message to their proxies. A weak Iran is a weak Lebanese Hezbollah. A weak Iran is a weak Hamas. A weak Iran is a weak Qatar. A weak Iran is a weak Palestinian Islamic Jihad. 
all of them will become weak when the United States gets tough on Iran. Well, look, uh, as you know yourself, Mike, um, you know, when you are a unit or an organization or a force structure that conducts unconventional warfare, uh, you don't need to win the war against a bigger army. You just don't have to lose it. Um, the issue is if we are going to say, in this case, Israel has said that we are going to basically eradicate uh, Hamas, um, unless they take it upon themselves and go into Qatar and eradicate the leadership there too, um, it's going to be very difficult because as long as there's residuals that exist, you could always reconstitute that capability. So from an uh, unconventional warfare setting, I don't have to, as an insurgent, ever uh, win the war. I just don't have to lose it. And in this case, you know, if I can take more lives off the shelf that the Israelis have, and uh, in this case, you have the administration pointing at the issues of, you know, for Israel, don't overreach. But what is overreach? They can't even define it. And maybe they're just waiting to see how the, uh, uh, you know, global uh, community, in this case, UN, that is not a, that has no love for Israel, um, is going to work with others to maybe sway opinion publicly against Israel, uh, whether or not we are going to actually support them to knock out, you know, targets in uh, southern Lebanon and other places. What are we trying to strategically achieve there? Is it still under the current atmosphere like it was under Obama administration to pull out of the Middle East and uh, uh, let others deal with it? Or are we trying to, maybe Biden's trying to come back again in the Middle East with internal fights in his administration, some of which just don't want to be there? Uh, because from their perspective, we have no strategic need there, given the fact that we're no longer dependent on oil if we don't have to be. That's a decision we made. And let uh, others like China maneuver or Russia maneuver to have a bigger footprint in the region. Um what are some of the dynamics you're hearing being in D.C. as to how the politics are playing inside of the administration? Well, it's funny you say, you know, how, how are the politics playing inside of the administration? Uh, we just saw that report, Huffington Post, right, has pretty good ties to the administration. There are a lot of administration officials that are against Biden's pro-Israel stance right now that are threatening to resign and quit. And, and I say, good riddance. If you are in State Department or the Department of Defense and you're against the United States supporting an ally after a 9-11 style attack, then then you shouldn't be in those positions. Go back to the Qatari funded think tanks in Washington, D.C. You know, that's that's one of that. That's how I'd answer that. But as far as the administration's uh, grand strategy of tilting out of the Middle East to focus on Russia and China, and then Russia and China entrench themselves in the Middle East, bringing the United States back in to to basically, uh, you know, focus on uh, the current situation that they're basically a year, two years behind. We're always behind the eight ball based on our strategies. You cannot tilt out of the Middle East uh, to focus on Russia and China and then be surprised when they entrench themselves or when our allies waver because as you tilt out russia and china start courting allies such as saudi arabia egypt uh you know the uae it's it's just it doesn't make any sense and if this administration you gotta remember who this administration is the same people 
They were they gave us the JCPOA, the Iran deal in 2015. You know, Tony Blinken, Sullivan, Brett McGurk, Biden, Obama. That Obama team is now Biden's foreign policy team. It's the same people. Even General Austin was part of all of this. And under under Austin's watch is when ISIS came in. It was Austin CENTCOM that said ISIS was the JV team. So anyway, my point is this foreign policy team, you know, got manhandled by Tehran. They got manhandled by the Taliban. They're getting manhandled now by Iran again in this current conflict. If you're not capable of bettering, you know, getting the, the you know, getting the, you know, the, be- the better of your enemy. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to cuss, Sergeant. That's what I'm trying not to do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you can't get the best of the Taliban, I mean, if you can't better them, beat them, you know, get ahead, then you're certainly not going to be able to do that, do that against Russia, China, and Iran. And, and it's embarrassing. You know, Jake Sullivan couldn't have had a, a worse moment than that speech he gave two weeks ago where he said the Middle East has never been better than it is right now. Of course, this is prior to October 7th. And, you know, the Atlantic Council is having a big conference next week about how great Iraq is. And they, their timing is as bad as Jake Sullivan is, is <laughs> when it comes to the situation. And it's just, it's it's this we got to remember that if you could go back to every Atlantic Council panel during the Iraq War or the Afghanistan conflict and listen to the group think and the general consensus. And for your audience, what I mean is these are premier gatherings of intellectuals that are selected to discuss foreign policy issues and give their forecasts. If you would look at that over the last 20 years, they've been wrong on every issue because they're only talking to themselves. It's a, it's a, you know, it's groupthink that has a detriment on everything we're trying to put together when it comes to foreign policy and national security. Uh, if you believe that the United States should have a deterrence strategy, and if you believe the United States is uh, is right to defend itself, right to defend its allies, uh, this is the group that is opposed to that, and. Well, they're never re- they're never ready, Mike. I mean, I, I they're never what? they're never ready. They're never ready to give. Look, you know, when before World War II really got kicked off with the uh, with the uh, bombing of Pearl Harbor, um, U.S. leadership saw that Japan was on the move, and um, every time they put restrictions on japan japan basically went past those restrictions or red lines we call them today so the leadership turned around talked to the military and said look what do we need to do in case worst case scenario the multi came back took a look at internally to what the u.s capabilities were and said we need to start getting factories online we need to be ready this is the type of number of equipment it would take this is what we would need to have to be able to counter and go to war Four years prior to the bombing of Pearl Harbor, the United States has started building its internal structures and capabilities and capacity that if that worst case scenario came, they could counter it. And when it did, we had the ability to turn the American capabilities 
to a combat mission. But even then, it took us two nuclear bombs to be able to defeat the Japanese. Uh, Based on what you're saying, there's no such thing taking place, it seems, in the United States, an internal look to say, where do we need to be? I mean, if China decides tomorrow to go into Taiwan, um, there's your chip technology. The only other place you could get it is in Korea. Guess what? North Korea has a nuclear bomb. And if that guy decides to put them on on, uh, South Korea, you have no ability to be able to get your chip technologies anymore because they're all lost. Uh, You know, you're going to lose Japan. You're going to lose Australia. You're going to lose the series of Malacca all the way back to anything in Asia. So it doesn't seem like there's anything churning in the United States today to reset the stage. What I do want to do, Mike, if possible, I do want to, in the last segment that we have, to take a look at, from your perspective, what do we need to do to be able to be in a position, even though we're now in this fight, to resolve the issues internally within the administration that is taking place at the same time, try to look forward, as, as you said, maybe in a year, year and a half, even before maybe the next election, depending how it's going for Biden, to be able to possibly counter what China may decide to do in Asia. And then uh, uh, kind of tie all that together into a package of, of what are some of the baselines that you think are being met that means that we're in the right policy setting. With that said, I do want to remind our audiences to uh, be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop uh, for the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the videos, so that we can help secure America's future. You can find out more about my show and get all the latest podcasts if you go to the menu navigation bar at AmericaOutloud.com under our show or schedule. You will be in the know. We will be back with Michael Pregen in our last segment to discuss what his vision is and what his advice is to the current POTUS and possibly even the future presidencies. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. 
Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution, the miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It worked. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Welcome back to the National Security Hour. the final segment that we have with Michael Preger. Michael uh, is a premier expert on Iran. And uh, of course, with everything that is happening in the Middle East, I did want to bring him back and kind of have him reset the stage for us. And uh, before we left the last segment, I did ask Mike, uh, if you're giving advice for the current administration and uh, the following presidents, uh, whoever they may be, uh, what would be the baselines that you would say that seems like we're heading in the right successful uh, direction when it comes to finally dealing with a policy that's a long-term enduring across administrations when it comes to Iran, and at the same time to be able to address the issues that we're facing, in this case with China, which of course uh, uh, is a lead for the Shanghai Cooperation Organization that both Iran and Russia are signatorial to. So with that said, Mike, uh, we do want to know what your advice would be. Listen, the best way to to deal with this right now is, again, to make Iran feel the pain. The Biden administration does not have an Iran strategy other than an appeasement strategy. And all you have to do is watch what they're doing. Uh, just just came across the wire that Hamas is going to release a mom and a, a daughter uh, who have medical issues. Uh, the Qataris brokered that release. And I'm very interested to see whether or not it was another couple billion dollars unfrozen to give to the Iranians. They're not giving the money to Hamas. Hamas took hostages on the behalf of Iran. So this is the first uh, first sign that Qatar wants to stay involved in the hostage negotiations, but the payoffs are still going to go to Iran. I would I would advise the president. Listen, this is this is serious. You, the, the region is about to explode, and you're helping it by ignoring the main provocateur, which is Iran. You have to deal with the regime, and it's not its not hard. You don't have to blow up the regime or destroy the regime. You just simply have to economically punish the regime. Take away these, these uh, carve-outs in Iraq. A carve-out to your audiences. Uh, you can't buy 
Iranian oil unless you're Iraq, or you can't give Iran U.S. dollars unless you're Iraq. That's a car. That's a carve out. It's an exception made for a country, and we know that um, Iran uses Iraq as a lifeline. The U.S. has many tools in its diplomatic tool bag to use. Many levers of pressure to put on Iran. This this administration simply won't do. It believes in rewarding Iran because to punish it would mean they were wrong. It would mean they were wrong uh, during the Obama administration. Again, it's the same people, the same people that brought us, uh, that empowered Iran during the Obama administration are the same ones now empowering Iran and losing to Iran, losing to the Taliban, losing to Russia, losing to China, and now look unsure of what to do in the Middle East. It's simple. Iran has to feel economic pain they have to feel so much pain that they tell their proxies to stop. And Hezbollah, when Iran was uh, being pressured under the maximum pressure campaign of the Trump administration, Hezbollah wasn't being funded. There was a there was a, a, a donor drive, so to speak, with the uh, with the proxies to raise money for Lebanese Hezbollah, and the Houthis were actually raising money for Lebanese Hezbollah. So. If you put pressure on Iran, economic pressure on Iran, it, it filters down. It it hurts the proxies. If you put military pressure on Iran, they blink. You punch them in the nose, they blink. Again, they did it in 1988 with Ronald Reagan. Uh, they did it in 2020 with Donald Trump. And they would do it again under President Biden if they believed he was serious. They don't believe he was serious. Uh, unfortunately, I believe uh, the people that Biden has surrounded himself with are definitely going to keep the appeasement strategy in place. I think in Biden's gut, and Biden actually did what his gut, you know, what he felt in his gut, he would probably hit Iran in some capacity, punish Iran more. Uh, if you look, go back and look at when Obama announced the Iran deal, everything that we now know is a lie that Obama said during that initial uh, speech to the American people about uh, securing the Iran deal. Every lie that we now know was a lie biden looks at him biden is looking at the camera and as soon as obama tells a lie biden looks at him as though to say well that's that's not true <laughs> it's really interesting to watch if you just look at it but it, it's it's that simple if you want to send a message to russia and china punish iran if you want to send a message to hamas lebanese hezbollah punish iran you cannot continue to protect Iran, isolate Iran, defend Iran by saying Iran's not involved, continue to reward Iran, and expect anything to change. You're going to embolden Iran, you're going to embolden Russia, you're going to embolden China. And that's what this is all about. And our adversaries believe they're in a permissive environment where they can do whatever they want for the next you know, 12 months to 14 months. Oh, they definitely are. And I, I think that first indication I received uh, that Biden might be turning um, maybe with a different focus and vision as far as addressing the Iran issue was when he uh, uh, stated on his trip in Israel that, you know, I, as he said, I've seen the pictures of the uh, Jewish babies that were beheaded. Uh, and it told me that it must have significantly touched them for him to uh, make that statement. And then, of course, uh, um, you know, it was a matter of him spending some time on the ground with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, who, who probably, you know, kind of laid everything out uh, as a soldier does um, with what has happened in the uh, region, what may happen in the future that may have put now 
possibly binding in conflict with, as you were saying, even people in his own administration are threatening to resign if he uh, uh, decides to be further engaged um, in the region. So unfortunately, given uh, what we have seen in the past, uh, as long as uh, Biden makes a statement, somebody comes in and recorrects him, um, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to take some significant steps in protection of the uh, uh, Israelis or only ally in the region when it comes to this fight. Mike, I do want to ask you an uh, important question. And I had this discussion with my Israeli friends and I told them, look, um, I don't I can't advise you on how your policy needs to continue via vis-a-vis Middle East. But um, even they understand that, you know, uh, the use of possibility of nuke in the future um, doesn't bode well, not just for the entire planet, but doesn't bode well for them. Uh, but when they asked me, as far as my advice on Iran, if, you know, nuclear weapons you use against Iran, I said, look, you could drop a nuke on Tehran tomorrow. You could drop one where you believe that the Iranian nuclear facilities are to include possibility of where the North Korean ballistic missiles and the Iranian uh, nuclear warheads are sitting. But 75 years from now, if you look into the future, Iran as a geographic location will exist and there's going to be Iranians and may even rebuild itself even after a nuclear fallout, just like Japan did when we dropped bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Of course, those bombs are not as as uh, capable as even a tactical nuke today is. But I said, from now to 2,000 years from now, somebody shows up with you know, sophisticated technology and opens up a uh, um, case, a dirty bomb in Jerusalem, and then it's game over. So how are we going to address this issue, the elephant in the room, of the Islamic radicalism? How are we going to address it resource-wise, philosophically, politically, economically, however you want to look at it, how do we address it to make sure that this thing doesn't turn up and become an enemy with better technology as its capability a thousand years from now? Right. So it's really, it's really, it's really interesting that, you know, a lot of people think it's the United States keeping Iran from a nuclear weapon or that Israel is keeping Iran from a nuclear weapon. Both the United States and Israel have the capability to military, militarily set back Iran's nuclear program two decades through military strikes. But the reason Iran is not rushing to a bomb is, is because Russia and China will not allow it to. A lot of people don't know that. And it's because of this. The Russians and the Chinese do not want a, a radical terrorist state to have a nuclear weapon. What they do want is continue to, uh, for Iran to continue to push up to that breakout time, that, that, that red line of having a bomb in order to get more concessions from the EU and more concessions from the United States. And it's a playbook that Iran has put in place. Iran has been six months to a year away from a nuclear weapon uh, for the last 10 years. They could they could move in that direction at any time. They're not doing it because of us. They're not they're not uh, doing it because because of Israel. They're not doing it because China and Russia have told Iran specifically that if you move towards a nuclear weapon, we won't allow it. And when they're asked, what do you mean you won't allow it? When the Russians and the Chinese just look at them and say, we won't allow it, Iran knows what that means. 
It means a military strike as well. So the argument by the Biden administration for its appeasement policy is, well, would you rather have Iran be a, be a, you know, support militias and support these terrorist groups and attack Israel with a nuclear weapon or without a nuclear weapon? So they say our goal is to keep them from getting a nuclear weapon. But but if you actually look at their policies, their goal, if you look at the JCPOA, is to allow Iran to have a nuclear weapon in 2030, which I still don't believe uh, Iran and China will allow. In the meantime, they continue to fuel Iran's economic ability to support terrorism through its proxies. And the reason Iran built this uh, capability with, with their proxies from the Houthis in Yemen to the militias in Iraq to Hezbollah in Lebanon and to the numerous groups inside of, 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 Israel, of correction of, of Hamas uh, controlled territory, you know, Palestinian controlled territory. Let's just say that. Um, it's for this. It's for exactly this. And the United States has emboldened, empowered, and made Iran more capable. So I made that argument earlier that Hamas is more capable capable because of Iran. Uh, Hezbollah is more capable because of Iran. Iran's more capable because of the Obama-Biden, Biden-Obama team, because they continue to empower it. They continue to give China and Russia a no vote when it comes to putting more sanctions on Iran. Russia and China want Iran's economy open to it. Uh, China's already in there. China gave uh, Iran a, 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 what, a $410 billion loan over 20 years, which basically means everything that China's building inside of Iran is for China's use. Uh, they're even using Chinese labor to build the infrastructure. And, and Russia, of course, wants oil and gas rights. Iran has already given, what, 60% of their water rights to Russia in order for Russia to, to help Iran keep Assad in position in Syria you know, a key client state. It's the United States that continues to allow Iran to continue to make these terrorist groups more capable. And that's what has to stop. Mike, well said. And uh, with that said, um, for our audiences, um, if you want to hear Mike uh, discuss these issues again, um, I will have him on my uh, personal podcast on Monday evening um and um uh we could discuss these more um i know our segment runs short in the third segment today but because that's because michael Friedgen is uh again uh sought out by everybody i know he has another uh show at the top of the hour so with that said just if you want to hear about what michael has talked about he's a he frequently appears as an expert analyst on shia militias iran iraq and isis with appearances on bbc world news al jazeera international National, CNN International, Fox News, and others to include the National Security Hour. Mike, it was a pleasure having you here. I do want to remind our viewers out there that, um, um, you know, thanks for joining us on the mission. The National Security Hour is a tip of the spear to do the epic battle to defend the United States of America. Mike, um, you get the last word, buddy, before we sign off. Oh, thanks for having me. And and to your audience, if you do want to follow what I do, you can follow me on Twitter or X at MP Pregent, P-R-E-G-N-T is my last name and the first two initials, MP Pregent. And uh, you'll see my content there. And and hopefully you'll have me back. And uh, hopefully the next time we talk, we'll, we'll have changed uh, the administration's mind on what to do about Iran.
No, definitely we have to because it's our country and uh, to protect us, to protect uh, our future, we have no choice but to do that. And you will be back again on the National Security Hour. Uh, again, Michael Pregen, uh my guest today, the premier mind when it comes to Iran and the United States. Again, thank you for our audiences. God bless. And this is the National Security Hour.